1: Welcome into the oddson Audible's podcast. Matt premier Eric Mac on this Monday edition. And we kind of debated on when we wanted to talk about this because it was pretty substantial news. But we felt like Monday was the perfect day to wrap into this because Friday and Saturday were massive days on the field and also down the road for Oregon football. Uh, started off with a verbal commitment in the 2023 class, which we'll dive into. Uh, it landed ended Friday night with another five-star commitment. And then Saturday, Oregon had their scrimmage. And there was injury news. There was news about where the program is at after its first scrimmage. So we're going to break all that down here on this podcast. Um, and we're going to start with Josh Connerly, five-star offensive tackle. Um, all three of us, guys, I I didn't expect him to pick Oregon. Did you? Did you? I mean, did you? Any of you guys pick? Expect him to to say Oregon on Friday night?
0: I was at a public house in line getting Indian fusion food uh, when you guys messaged me that it was Oregon, and I was very surprised. So no, I did not expect Oregon to be the pick.
2: I was uh, I was at the Nike Hoop Summit up in Portland. Um, also very surprised at the pick. Uh, went around and told other other people who cover Oregon that he made the decision, and uh, most of them were all surprised as well. Um, definitely a surprising moment, but huge for Dan Lanning and company um, big for the program, obviously. And yeah, that's the, the first recruiting victory of over USC that Oregon has so far.
1: Yeah. Connolly out of Rainier beach high school up in Seattle, the highest rated offensive tackle in program history to, to commit to the ducks um, pretty substantial news. there. first number one player in the state of Washington to commit to Oregon since Jonathan Stewart in 2005 uh, and Lanning and company in five months time did something that Mario Cristobal and Willie Taggart and Mark Helfrich, Chip Kelly and Mike Bellotti could not do. And that's not trying to disparage any of those. It's to acknowledge that those five recruited at high levels. uh, And in five months, Dan Lanning exceeded them by landing two of the top three players in the state of Washington in the same year, Dave Uli, uh, was already committed. We should note Mario Cristobal swung real hard at David Uli. And he also swung real hard at Josh Connolly jr. Uh, and Oregon was able to, with a staff that was entirely new, overcome that and then go down and beat USC. Like Jared mentioned, um, Connolly was heavily projected to go to USC, uh, last minute flip of a, of a decision to Oregon. And he will now enroll for, for the fall of 2022. Uh, this is just, there's no other way around to, to say this is massive for Oregon football.
0: It was a big day for Dan Lanning, but how about a big day for Adrian Clem? Yeah. And I point that out because I think when you have a previous head coach, who was an offensive line coach and the success and the way that program was built. I think there was maybe a sense that it was going to be hard to, to land guys like a Josh Connerly. Clem is a renowned recruiter too. And I think this is a reminder of that. And you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see differences in terms of how these offensive lines operate and that's probably getting down the line to another conversation we can have later on about kind of where they're at in the spring because we did talk with Oregon's offensive linemen on Thursday and, and it sounds like there's just a, a lot of how they're approaching things but I, I think Connolly felt like he was headed to USC for a really long time Oregon got him on campus last Saturday so I guess two Saturdays ago because today's Monday but you know, about a week before he made his decision. And it's sort of interesting, the dynamic of this was the uh, this was the USC move for so long in recruiting battles with Oregon. And this is probably predates a lot of Jared's time following the program. But like when I was in college and when I was in high school, it seemed like anytime Oregon was in a good spot with a top kid, typically from Southern California, that was down to Oregon and USC, USC would get like a last second visit and would flip the recruit and it would end up being like, well, we can't beat USC for it. And and, and now the kind of the tables are turning a little bit. And big credit to, to again, to Adrian Clem for, for being kind of the point person on this. And now it'll be really interesting to see, like just kind of what's the immediate impact here. And I, I don't expect Josh Connolly steps on campus and is anointed a starter. And we've had these conversations previously. Kingsley Sumatia, by the way, was the previous highest rated offensive tackle recruit. In program history, he did make it a year. And both Matt and I on a podcast earlier that year said we thought he'd start. So I'm not yeah. going to make the mistake of doing that again. But I do think it, it's a big position of need. And it also kind of clarifies uh, a bit of a rant I had on Thursday's podcast about why Jalen Jeffers left. Because I was kind of like, "There's no who's the long-term solution at left tackle? Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe these two decisions kind of went hand in hand here. And maybe Jalen had an inkling that something was coming down the road here that would impact his direct path to being the full-time left tackle in 23 and beyond. And that that kind of inkling was that Josh Connolly might be going to Oregon, which is now the case. And that really clarifies that position battle for, for years to come for Oregon. This is a big-time addition because it's not like it's not like it's just a, hey, this guy by 24 or 25 is going to be impactful. Like, he could be playing decent. He could be in the rotation by the end of this year, and who knows what that means in terms of actual playing time because I don't think they're going to rotate like they've done in the past. But he certainly will be the favorite to be the starting left tackle when 2023 comes along. And I think you can argue he'll be in the conversation, or at least in consideration, to be one of the tackles that
2: is at least part of the two deep early on in his career too in 22 the jalen jeffers transfer i always thought was strange just like you eric but in the back of my mind that the possibility of connerly committing to oregon and and jeffers like getting out of the way basically always kind of sat in the back of my mind i didn't really think it was was a real logistic scenario until connerly actually committed um that being said eric's 100 right where he where he talks about how connerly could be somebody who is in the rotation by the end of the year, uh, is in line to be the starting left tackle uh, in 2023, uh, obviously all barring injury. Um, but as we've seen last year, a lot of offensive linemen were injured and that could give anybody who's a, who's a reserve in the offensive line group an opportunity to play, to start, to be in the rotation, whatever the case may be. Um, and the tackle spots aren't exactly the deepest for Oregon. Um, so getting Connerly to come in eventually I don't 100% know when he'll arrive on campus. I'm assuming probably in June or July um, when the rest of the early enrollees will arrive. But you know this is this is a significant upgrade in terms of talent across the roster uh, for Oregon, especially at offensive line. Uh, Connerly is the number two offensive tackle in the country according to the 24/7 Sports composite. He's the number one according to 24/7 Sports top two four seven that's pretty good. That's pretty <laughs> darn good. And um, I, I will note, this might make USC fans who are happy, who are listening to the podcast and might, you know, Oregon fans, maybe cover your ears and like that. The uh, the last two highly rated offensive tackles to come through Oregon, you know, there hasn't been a lot of history of success with it, but Connerly could change that narrative. Connerly can come in in that, that Panay Sewell role, not no comparisons. Don't get me wrong, no comparisons here, but that Penesu role, where he can, you know, show up as a true freshman and potentially make an impact, or uh, as a sophomore, really start to make an impact for this program. Um, his player comparison is Laramie Tunsil, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people remember Laramie Tunsil for bad reasons on draft night, with some <laughs> sort of mask. We'll keep it like that. Um, this is a man who has just paid three years, sixty-six million dollars by the Houston Texans. Um, he's a starting left tackle, first-round pick. He's a very, very good tackle uh in the nfl so this is somebody who that's a very favorable comparison when you're comparing offensive linemen especially somebody who is just coming out of high school so like matt started this all off with uh huge for the program
1: not only did Tunsil get 66 million 58 of it was guaranteed that tells you how good of a yeah. player he is and if you're being considered to him uh pretty pretty high expectations i, I think it's fair to say that Connerly will will have an impact on the 2022 season. I'm not going to say he's going to start, because like Eric said, we got burned by that with Kingsley, um, not even making it half a year uh, mm-hmm. in Eugene. Um, but I think I think it's fair, even with all the returning talent, I, I think it's fair to expect that Connerly will play. This is not going to be a guy that's going to be in Eugene for four or five years, unless – injuries or something delay his development where he has to be in Eugene for four or five years. This is a guy that will play sparringly, but will play as a freshman. And like, like Eric said, we'll probably, I I, I agree. He's probably the odds on favorite um, to take over that left tackle spot. And it gives you now better depth from a, from a long-term perspective because I felt like at tackle after this season, you had one option and that was Dawson Jaramillo. And I'm not sure, you know, what Bram Walden can give you. Jonah Miller has moved from offensive line to defensive line. Um, Where, where does this, you know, where is this team at from a tackle perspective? I mean, Wooten's here. He's a member of the 2022 class. You know, but he's not a highly regarded guy. Maybe he plays above board uh, in in 2023. But I think this now gives you two tackles. Dawson's probably your right, Josh is probably your left.
0: Well, and we should note like Jalen Jeffers was literally the second string left tackle a week ago before he transferred, which was why him transferring was bizarre because it felt like he was, before Connolly was in the fold, kind of that next guy um, at left tackle. And we should know like Feope Lalu, who had been playing strictly at guard, I think, or pretty close to strictly at guard. Yeah, Jared's favorite. But mine, I'm a big fan of Ope too. Yeah. is gonna be a good good player. Um, we should know, like he was the second string left tackle once Jalen Jeffers left. And that's a kind of a weird fit for his skill set. Like if he's gonna play tackle, I like him on the right side better. I think he's probably better as a guard, big picture. Um, so like there has been like it was kind of a noticeable. Um, once Jeffers wasn't in the equation, it was a noticeable kind of absence at left tackle because you were kind of going like in a pinch. I I, I don't know what they would have done. Probably Dawson is, you know, somebody. maybe they just would have been as simple as Dawson steps in at left tackle, even though I think he's probably better at right tackle. Um, You know, if there is an injury now, whether it be at left or right tackle, you now have, I think, a better contingency plan than you did before, obviously, um, with Connerly in the mix. And, you know, he's somebody who, you look at his athletic traits, and it's like this is really, really special stuff here. And we haven't really got too much into the player evaluation, but like this guy is an incredible athlete. He's a high end basketball player. Um, his footwork and his, I mean, just the way he's able to move stands out. I know he's a little light at 283 right now. When he, you know, I'm sure a big part of the offseason is going to be Wilson Love and his staff, Shad Williams, those guys working on getting him above 300 or around the 300 pound mark, but making sure he can keep you know some of that explosiveness or not keep all that explosiveness because that's what makes him special and this is this is going to be a guy that I think can be equally devastating and run and pass downs the more you kind of go ahead and watch him um just with with how athletic he is and um you know I I I do think like again I want to be careful because of what's happened in the past with setting expectations on an offensive lineman to be contributing right away but I do think like if there was a situation where there was an injury and he was forced to play big snaps, I, I don't think it would be like embarrassing or disappointing with how he, how he how he plays. I think he's got the upside to be contributing right away. At the same time, like his best football is down the line when his body fills out and he gets yeah. a little. time in a college uh, system with with Clem leading the way, so um, huge day. I mean, I, I I don't know how much else there's to say about it other than like this is significant for all the reasons we've already stated and. Um, and, and just a big recruiting win over USC as well.
2: Just a, a quick thing on the on the rotations. If there is an injury to left tackle, TJ Bass, slide him that's, over.
0: Yeah, if they could slide him over. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah,
2: I think that's that's the best option until Connor Lee is seemingly um, better physically suited to be at the collegiate level. But like Eric just mentioned, I don't think if you threw him in, um, you know, like third game of the year, I don't necessarily think that that would be awful. I think that he would he would find his own. And I think, you know, Lanning has talked about this before. And you can always get mental reps, but what he wants to do is get physical reps for his younger guys. And, you know, Connolly could be a guy who gets those physical reps early on in the season to try to maintain a red shirt. Um, of course, always this is always barring injury, but yeah, if if there were a series of injuries like there has been in, in 2021 and Connolly had to take take in, um, I think he'd be fine. I don't, you know, I don't wouldn't expect them to be a, you know, a reincarnation of Panay Sewell in his sophomore year, but I think that he would be fine. He would be suitable. Um, Oregon's offense, seemingly, we've talked to a lot of offensive linemen recently. Um, A lot of pulling, uh, a lot of (laughs) up-tempo offense. Um, I think this is a body type in terms of what Connerly brings to the table that could really help in this offense. Uh, Pulling, getting around the corner, um, moving. He's an excellent athlete. Eric mentioned that he played basketball at a high level as well in Washington. Uh, this is somebody who is a different kind of body than what Mario Cristobal and his staff would bring in, um, probably a little shorter and a little lighter. But I think that's that's a good thing, and I think that's why USC was going after him, uh, very athletic lineman. I think that's why Oregon really, really pushed hard to get him.
1: Other news on Friday was that in the 2023 class, three-star defensive lineman at Pomey from Leighton Christian Academy in Utah, announced his verbal commitment. And you, if we wanted to, I mean, we could spin this as a double dip for Oregon and beating Washington and USC because Pome had offers from Washington and right. USC. Um, he also had uh, offers. I think it's notable that you have to, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, you have to say Jackson State and Deion Sanders. You know, like, he was going after him. Uh, you, you had... Arizona, Cal, Colorado, Nevada, Oregon State, San Jose State, Utah State, and Vanderbilt being his other offers, but the big two, USC and Washington. And what was it just a week ago? Or was it even Monday when last week when we were discussing um, recruiting and we had received a question, is it time to to get a little concerned? Is it What's going on with Oregon football? Why are they not winning some of these recruiting battles? And I think we all were on here saying that wait around the time of the spring game. It's typically when it starts when the flood happens and the flood is not here yet, but in one day, they landed two big commitments, one in the 2022 class. And I think Paul May is going to have his, his moment kind of got uh, covered up by Connollys because this is, while he is a three-star player, these types of body types that he has, 6'3", 330, the offer sheets that he had, the schools that, that were after him, they don't come around very often out West. And Oregon was able to snag him early. And, and now they've got him in the fold.
0: SEC interests from Vanderbilt as well. Don't overlook. Yeah, th- please, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> just kidding. Thank you, um, no, you're right though, Matt. Like from a body type perspective, these are the guys that can be hard to find, frankly, out West. Um, and typically, when you find them, they're in Utah. You know, Oregon's, I think, expected starting zero technique or nose tackle issue will be Sam Timani, or he's in position. That's another kid from Utah who comes in at 330, 340. I think that's the kind of body type you can expect from Pome down the line. Um, the rugby background, go watch some of those highlights. This is another big guy who can move um mm-hmm. and o- Oregon fans will think of the last time there was a big guy who could move who played rugby from the state of Utah Hint that was Haloti Nada and I'm not drawing the comparison that they're going to be anywhere near the same player I'm just saying that's not a bad uh, athletic background to have um I think it's I think it's notable uh again that Oregon is having success with defensive players in the front seven because that's where you expect that they would have success and in 2022 this is a class that has two commitments they're both defensive players i think they're both high-end players i'd be curious to see pame's ranking if that how that kind of goes as, as we kind of progress through this because he is a player who i can't remember exactly how long he's been playing football but it's he doesn't have the traditional i played you know pop warner and i've been playing since i was 11 years old background i think he's only been playing a couple of years um i grew up playing rugby more so this is an interesting prospect. Again, I, I just like the body type because this is clearly something Oregon is in need of. And again, they've got Taimani now for, I think, this year and, and I think one more year if he chooses to in 23. There isn't necessarily like a really clear body type fit behind him on the roster right now. Um, you know, the previous staff, since Jordan Jordan Scott left, really didn't bring in guys with this kind of fit. You know, you, you think about Popo Amavai was playing kind of this same position, at least in a 3-4 defense, at 290, 300 pounds. He wasn't playing at 320, 330. Palme is a guy who can come in and you expect to be around that that size. And I think for Oregon, I would, would expect they're going to load up on some players of this kind of body type if they can in 23 because there aren't very many on the roster. There weren't any in 2022, really. I mean, I know Mel's and Roberts are six three, six four, but they're 280, 290 guys. They're not 320-pound guys. Um To get a player this size is notable because I think this is kind of fits what they're trying to do defensively. And frankly, to to have success running the defense they're trying to run, it's a lot easier to do that in the SEC where you can find a Jordan Davis, who by the way was also like a three-star recruit, who's just a Mm -hmm. huge, massive human being. Those guys don't grow on trees out west like they kind of teach height. You can't teach height. You can't teach that body type. Just that broad, natural Mm -hmm. girth that some of these kids in the Southeast have that make those SEC defenses so damn hard to go against because those guys are going to eat two or three blockers. You don't have that many guys out West like that. And so if they get a guy like that, who's relatively close by, I expect this will be uh, another, I think a priority in 2023 will be finding maybe one or two more guys kind of of this body type. So you have a group of them going forward, because again, once you hit players this weight, they aren't always going to have the conditioning to play every single down or enough downs. You want to have a rotation of them where there's no drop off. And that's certainly something you saw at Georgia where they did rotate Jordan Davis kind of in and out of the field at times.
2: Pome's recruitment is a fun one. Uh, Matt mentioned how it was, you know, another victory over USC in Washington. Um, Eric mentioned how th- this kid hasn't played football like all of his life, like a lot of other players have. A rugby guy um, kind of reminded me, like you said, hello to a in my day, you know, kinda of remind me of a little bit of Mace Funa, where he was a big rugby guy before coming to Oregon. Um, if you so he he took plays or he took part at a high school, 3A high school for football in Utah. They go up to 6A. When you watch his tape, you can sort of see some of that. And he's clearly like the biggest person on the field by a large, <laughs> large margin. But you also watch his tape and you watch his feet. He's got good footwork. He's got he's quick off the line. Um, he's really strong. It's uh he has no problem getting through most offensive lines in that 3A conference. Um, but like Eric said, I'm excited about this because of the body type that he presents for Oregon. Um, what was one of the first things that Dan Lanning did as a head coach? He got a transfer from Sam Taki Taimani, who is a very similar body type as Pome over here. You know, that's 6'2, 6'3, that 330, 325, something like that. Um, that's going to be really helpful. Because as Eric outlined, you, know, you had Popo and, and at times you know, sophomore year for Brandon Dorlis would play that interior defensive line position and be 290, be under 300. And that 2020 season, I'm sure a lot of Ducks fans remember how easy it was for teams like Oregon State to just run right up the middle. Because Oregon didn't have any big bodies, didn't have any big physical guys up there. Even with Jordan Scott, who uh, going into the season had lost weight and that was going to be a good thing for him. Uh, turned out it wasn't, and this is a guy with that similar type of body who can go in there and eat up blockers like Jordan Scott used to do like in 2019. Um, I'm excited about this commitment. It's Like Matt mentioned, it's clearly overshadowed by Connerly committing. Not rightfully so, but we all understand as to why, because Connerly is somebody who is a medium back guy at 2022 and a five-star commit. But Poma is going to be a guy who in his sophomore, maybe his junior season, you know, really starts to make an impact for this team. Um, I think if you get him in the strength in the strength and conditioning room, um, you get him to cut off the bad fat and add muscle weight, keep up that 320, 330 frame, um, I think he could turn into somebody who's maybe not an every down guy. Like Eric mentioned, you gotta rotate these people in and out. But I think he could be a real impact guy, maybe off the bench, maybe as a starter going down the line.
1: That gives Oregon two verbal commitments in the 2023 class. They're currently ranked 40th. Um, I don't think they're fifth in the Pac-12. Um, one four star Cole Martin, who's a top 100 recruit, and then Tavita Pome. Um, like we said earlier, a couple weeks ago, still plenty of time. There's really no reason to be concerned about where Oregon's at, at this moment. Um, I would expect Things to continue to go up. More commitments to come in this class here in the next couple of weeks, into the next couple of months, and maybe by June first or middle of June, we'll take a look at this class and kind of evaluate it: where they are, where the strengths are, where they need to to add. But it's a good start. Tavita is, uh, like everyone has said on the show, uh, a big time talent that certainly will turn some heads when when he gets to Eugene. Let's. Take a moment. Uh, it's going to take a break real quick. and we come back, uh, we've got injury news from a scrimmage. We've also got some scrimmage notes that we're going to dive into coming up next here on the Autos and Audibles podcast.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.
1: All right. Welcome back to the Aughts and Automals podcast. Um, over the weekend, Oregon had a second or they had their first, excuse me, spring scrimmage. Um, some good, some positive, some positives to, to hammer home. Lanning also brought up that there was plenty to, to work on. Uh, they, they practiced inside Autzen Stadium. Uh, friends and family were invited, but otherwise it was a pretty empty Autzen Stadium. Uh, they had a big kind of barbecue meal-type deal afterwards. Um, and let's start with the injury first. We saw Dante Manning walk out – or not walk out, get wheeled out of practice in a wheelchair, but we later saw him walking. Um, nonetheless, his status, what do we know right now, Eric, and just the long-term effects that this kid have if he's not available uh, on the field for a while?
0: Yeah, this is potentially really – scary news for for dante and his career because he's it's been one already riddled with injuries and then also just for that position group and we don't know a lot and dan didn't have a lot of answers he noted he was just coming off the field he said he got dinged up in practice Um, genuinely didn't have an answer and you wouldn't expect him to um i think it could be seen as a positive although there was some debate on the site how much it mattered that he wasn't on crutches when he was leaving um jared caught that part um we don't want to speculate about what it is and exactly what's going on. But hypothetically, if this is a long-term injury that keeps him out of any games or the whole season, Oregon's cornerback depth is really takes a hit. Um, this was somebody who was really – he was in position to be one of the starters with Christian Gonzalez. And I, I think we noted on Thursday's show that like it felt like those two had kind of separated a little bit just based upon what we had seen. And the coaches didn't say that, but that was kind of our assessment of things, I guess. And if he's not in the picture, now you're going to be looking at – and Avante Dickerson, who we should also note has been kind of limited a little bit in practice of late. You got Jaleel Florence, who's here. You got Darren Barkins, uh, another second year freshman. Uh, You've got a couple of kids coming in in the 2022 class who will enroll in the summer. I would imagine you maybe look at the transfer portal and see who's out there at corner if if Manning is, again, we're putting the cart before the uh, the horse here because we don't know. It could be this is something where he's you know, it's a it's a minor injury and he's able to take part in practice as soon as this week. Who, who knows? But somebody coming out in a wheelchair is not a great sign. Even, you know, even if it's even if it's a precautionary thing, it's like it's that's 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 not great. That's not ideal. And you again, I feel for Dante because you think about his career at Oregon, his first year back in 2020. He basically couldn't play because of a hamstring injury, which also cost him most of his senior year in high school in Kansas City. Gets to, you know, in 2021, he's mostly healthy. I think he did miss a little bit of time in fall with kind of lingering stuff. And then here we are. And if this is a serious injury, again, left leg brace, kind of think maybe it's somewhere in that knee region, possibly. That's that's really a tough break for, for him. Um, pardon the choice of words there, break, because that's not great <laughs> talking about injuries. But I digress. No, this is, a, this, is a, this is a tough one. And, again, for the team, it – there aren't. There's not like a real clear answer to me, and I guess maybe one of the options is moving Tricos Bridges, who's been working, you know, he's been a full-time safety to start camp. Maybe he's somebody we see now working at cornerback, and we'll get hopefully some further answers on this from Coach Lanning. Uh, he's expected, I think, to speak on Tuesday and Saturday again. That's been the, the regular schedule for the start of camp. Maybe he'll have some answers I don't know. Maybe he'll be tight-lipped about it. We'll see. My my expectation is Manning will not be taking part in practice this week, and that could be totally wrong, and maybe we'll show up and have good news to report on Tuesday, but it certainly is not ideal what's taking place. And Again, I just kind of feel for the kid who everybody has such high expectations for as the highest rated corner to ever sign with the program, and so far hasn't been able to really contribute a lot, and, and part of that has been because of injury.
2: Yeah, it's super unfortunate for Dante. Obviously, we don't know exactly what the specifics of his injury are. Um, but, like Eric mentioned, when you get wheeled out of, you know, when you get put into a wheelchair and brought out of anywhere, it's not always the best sign. Um, obviously, super precautionary by Oregon and their strength and conditioning staff, which is the proper thing to do. Um, I've I don't, again, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't have my degree from anywhere. I don't know if it was a positive or a negative thing that he was not on crutches when he was walking out of the, of the HDC. Um, this is a, this is a, just a wait and see situation. Um, this is something where Banning could be, these are all hypothetical, but he could be knocked out of the rest of spring ball and just have enough time to heal before the season starts. And that's, that'd be, you know, really ideal. Uh, or there couldn't be um this is a wait and see uh, eventually landing theoretically should maybe give us an answer or two on this topic on this situation um and i think that's just all we have to wait for um you know this is this is a player that i'm very high on in the upcoming season um he's at this point seemingly in line to be a starting cornerback alongside christian gonzalez um he's one step away from putting things all together and becoming somebody who's really talented and someone who really helps Oregon on the field. Um, so I just, you know, I wish him best of luck, best of good health. And, um, uh, you know, this is a wait and see situation.
1: Now from a scrimmage standpoint, they try to treat this as much of a, as a game as they could. They had some coaches in the box. Some of them were down below. Uh, they, they practiced inside Austin stadium. Um, it was offense, defense. Um, the hope was, you know, Landing had to go back and count, but the hope was that they got about 90 to 100 total reps between all the groups. Um, and, you know, it was sounds, we didn't get to watch, but it does sound like some, some plays were made, some explosive plays happened. But what we would normally expect, uh, the defense also had some moments as well.
0: Yeah, Lanning was pretty careful to not really, I guess, uh, laud either side of the ball as being like big winners for the day. Um, you know, he said they the offense got to the end zone some. They want to work on ball security. He said the defense made some plays, but they need to do a better job of stopping the run. Tony Toyote, the defensive line coach, noted later that that the offense had some long runs. We don't again, we weren't as Matt said, we were not able to watch this scrimmage I don't expect to be able to watch next week's scrimmage so again for those listening we, our first time really watching this team will be the spring game on the 23rd um, but by all accounts it sounds like again some positives for the offense and positives for the defense that's what you expect um, it wasn't just a pure scrimmage day they did a lot of situational work they did seven on seven um, third down red zone uh, two minute those are the kind of drills that they worked on according to landing quarterbacks he said worked with a variety of personnel groups. Again, they're pretty clear in saying there's no first team, second team, offense, defense, whatever, um, that they're kind of mixed groups. And that being the case, all the quarterbacks work with different components of that. They worked on special teams. One of the things that kind of stood out to me there is Lanning said the execution was good, but that the actual, um, I guess, performance in those drills were kind of below standard. Um, I think it's also kind of interesting of like, how is landing framing this stuff and what actually took place because again we couldn't watch practice but i think it's notable he's pretty critical of everybody and i think that's very much intentional it reminds me we're going to use a basketball reference here but like dana altman in november even after a game where everybody watched them win by 35 points and played pretty well will always have like four to five things that were like well mm-hmm. man, we weren't great in the offensive glass we didn't get to 50 50 balls we didn't get enough we didn't draw enough fouls we fouled too much whatever he always has kind of a laundry list of things to work on. It's possible that was a really great scrimmage. And Lanning is kind of making sure that the narrative is there's a lot to work on. And I'm, just, I'm not saying we know that for a fact. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting the way he's approaching. It could also be that they just had a really lackluster day. I mean, some of the quotes that he led with were, you know, he said, um, for every highlight there was a low light. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty tempering expectations kind of, diminishing the positives kind of a comment you, you don't say you know and so the, kind of how he approached some of the words he used again as not having actually observed it was kind of notable um and also speaks to kind of how he wants to operate and we've already we, what we have seen is he is somebody who does not want his players to rest on laurels or kind of half-ass anything I mean we, we I think we noted on a previous podcast I think it was last Tuesday that landing stopped basically warm up and stretch drills to basically scold everybody for not working hard enough. And then they basically ran wind sprints, you know, and like this was with media watching, right. Um, this was in, he know, he knew we were there. I'm not saying he wouldn't have done it if we weren't there, but like he wants things a certain way. And he's, I think, I don't want to say perfectionist, but he wants things to be as close to perfect as possible. And clearly the scrimmage wasn't that. And I think that's what you'd expect for the first scrimmage. And he was very, I think, clear and kind of controlling some of the narrative there of not coming out and you know, here's what what it wasn't. It wasn't a perfect practice, like apparently what's happening down at USC where where Coach Riley's first practice was perfection and the best practice in the history of college football, which are actual things that Colin Cowherd said about a practice. Best
2: practice of all practice.
0: Yeah, this was not that, but it was a scrimmage that, again, as Landing has said, sounds like some pros and cons for both sides.
1: Well, real quick, I got to d- – before Jared gives his take, that USC stuff even worse, practice hadn't even started when Colin Cowherd tweeted that out yet. So that tells you where USC is at. It's
2: like a pre-programmed tweet. Um, anyways, uh, man, feel bad for the special team unit, man. I'll tell you yeah. what, Camden Lewis, execution, good performance, not so much. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Eric, I think uh, I think that's a really interesting note on on how he kind of maybe tries to control the media. I'm not sure if he's, like, trying yeah. to control the media. But he certainly could try, like, trying to, to temper everybody's expectations to be like, this wasn't, you know, as we just talked about, the greatest practice of all time. Or <laughs> this practice wasn't, you know, a load of, I can't swear, uh, you know, not a, not a great practice. So we'll go with that. Um But just from reading the tea leaves, as we're not, as Eric mentioned, we're not going to be able to really watch scrimmage until April 23rd at 1pm. Like everybody else here will. Um, It seems like there, like, like Lanning mentioned, there are a lot of highlights and there are a lot of lowlights, but again, it's spring football. That's exactly what there should be. Um, We have seen some highlights in our brief times during 11 on 11s, and we've seen some lowlights. We saw Sean Dollars explode on a wheel route for, 50, 60 yards that would have been a touchdown uh, except they called it back because they needed to continue in the drill. We've also seen Ty Thompson make some good passes and then get picked off by Brian Addison over like down towards the goal line. Highlight, low light. Um, I think that's just how it's going to be for these first couple weeks. Um, Lanning did mention that the defense needs to, to step up some. It sounded like the offense had a better day at the office than the defense on Saturday. So they need to work on tackling um i think that's something notable uh, obviously that is a position group that Lanning is going to pay a lot more attention to on the defensive side um but i think it's good to hear that you know we've been hearing this for a little bit now but that dillingham kenny dillingham's offense is making an impact on the defensive side of the ball because that's a really sorry i'm getting a middle a phone call in the middle of that um, I think the defense, if, if Oregon's offense is able to go against the defense and perform well against it, I think that's a really positive sign. That's a, this is a coaching staff who probably is more defense oriented than offense oriented. At least, you know, they have a defensive minded head coach. Um, but these are all, honestly, uh, these are all good things to hear from Lanning. These are all good things to hear from the players in terms of the physicality of the scrimmage. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson said that that was like the first time they really got to hit each other, which is interesting to hear that, you know, they they were just excited to start laying bodies. And so that's just football for you. Um, but I, I think uh, overall, I think what we've been hearing so far out of the scrimmages or, or the brief scrimmage and the practices, has been um, I think it's been a good sign. I think uh, things can obviously get better, but I think there's going to be plenty of highlights
1: can we just talk about landing for a second. I I'm pretty impressed at look there was a lot of discussion, a lot of concern that hey, this is a 35 year old man that's a head coach, no head coaching experience. What how is he going to handle and run a program? And I'm not gonna sit here and say that we as a media and Eugene have just peppered him with hard hitting questions every single time we've spoken with him. But I kind of appreciate the fact that he's not out here, which could be very easy to do, and using the media to hype up guys. And oh yeah, we look terrific here. This guy is awesome here. We're you know we we're, we're building an offense that's that's going to be very impressive. You just wait. Um, not to kind of throw him under the bus, but I guess I kind of am. But Ernie Kent style, where it felt a lot like. He was half his job was developing the basketball program and half his job was selling the fan base to, to believe in the program. Um, we're not seeing that. And I, I kind of dig that. I, I I like what we're getting it and It's not good content for us. Um, it's hard for us to get the true story for sure. But I think it tells us that, you know, there's legit work going on and things are going in the right direction because we're not, We're not, we're not getting a bunch of hype out of, out of Dan Lanning.
0: Well, I think not that, not that every part of the team reads every story we write or even most of them, or even all of them, or some of them in some cases, but if there were comments out there, like, let's say hypothetically, like Sam Taimani was discussed on Saturday and Matt wrote a story. I'm going to write another story on him. Um, but was, I asked Lanning about him, and, and he was clear to point out some positives of what he could become, but also point to some things that he needs to work on. And I think that is the intention is if, if, you're, the, if you're the head coach and you come out – and this is, again, on a kind of a micro level, and I know Matt's talking macro too about kind of the team and the whole expectations, but just on a player-by-player basis, if, if you come out and say Sam Taimani's incredible, Taki's going to be a first-team all-conference player, you know he brings this, this, and this, but you don't point to some flaws – and I don't, I'm not saying Taki isn't capable of, of taking that message and understanding that, you know, he still has things to work on. But it's easier when in the middle of there he goes, he needs to get in a better shape so he can play every down because we need him to be able to play every down. Um, and that's what he's done across the board whenever a player is really addressed is, is to bring up some positives but also kind of address a thing or two he needs to work on. I think a common phrase has been, even Sam would tell you he needs to work yeah. on this. Or yeah. even Jackson would tell you he needs to work on this because – It's important that the comments he's making aren't just, as Matt says, like, you know, sunshine pumping. He's not just out here saying everything's incredible. We look awesome. He is being very careful, I think, about how, again, the messages are being formulated. And I think that's clearly intentional. And I guarantee you that's something he's learned from the places he's coached at when he's been under head coaches like a Nick Saban and a Kirby Smart, you know, um, and and others, Todd Graham and and whatnot. But I, I just think there's so many parts of being a head coach and he's talked about how he's taking little bits from every program. It's pretty clear, even with the media relations stuff, he knows kind of what buttons to hit and what buttons to avoid hitting because it's all, you know, it's not all about pleasing us and the fan base. It's also about communicating to his players, the reality of what's going on. And if you were to say one thing and then in practice tell Sam, you need to work on conditioning when Sam could go, well, you just said i was perfect and everything's awesome you know and like right. there, there, there can't be that disparity in terms of the messaging
2: yeah and i think he does a good job of of pumping his players up when necessary i think you know he was very complimentary of, of talkie the other day but like eric said i think the, the the key like phrase is even blank would tell you that he has to get better better at this or has to keep working hard doing this whatever the case may be um because I think that's the the mindset or the mentality that the team kind of has is that they're just never never settling for a, a, some some type of level that isn't up to their best. Um, I think that's the message that Dan wants to send. I think that's the message that almost every coach on this staff wants to send. Um, probably every coach. I don't. Even, not even almost every. I'd say every coach wants to send that same message to not settle. Um, and I think that kind of comes with the youthful exuberance of this staff too. Um, basically, when when I've been talking to players and I've been asking, you know, that there's a huge difference between, or the question is proposed where there's a huge difference between this staff and the previous staff. It talks about the, the, the youth from them, the, the excitement, the energy, that it's just a different kind of mold. Um, and I think that comes out in the players too. So I think Dan's done a good job so far in terms of at least talking to us and hyping up the team, but keeping everybody's expectations where it should be where, you know, you could be excited, but they have to get through this stage of the development first.
1: Lots to digest with this one, lots to cover in the next second half of spring football. Um, that will kick off on Tuesday with uh, another practice. We'll be inside watching um, the first parts of it, and then we'll get to speak with Lanning, another coaches and players, and then Thursday's practice. And then, again, Saturday, the little scrimmage. We will not be allowed into that one as well. And then, guys, before you know it, game week. Spring, the spring game is two weeks away. Uh, spring football halfway done. Lots to get to. Excited to see what happens. Uh, but until the next one, you've been listening to the Awesome Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.